Twenty-some years ago, uh, when, uh, when I didn't live in Kansas, I was actually a, a volunteer fireman in the community where I lived. Let me just ask, how many of you guys, how, or ladies for that matter, how many people have been volunteer firefighters, either are or have been? You know, you guys do an amazing job, and thank you so much. Uh, we have a little practice at my house. Every time the fire whistle goes off, I stop and pray, no matter what, you know, even more so in the last couple of years, because I stop and pray, and I look outside the window and make sure nothing's on fire that I can see. Um, but we always pray whenever there's a fire. We always pray for the safety of the firefighters. We pray for those that might be going through some very difficult times, and, and a lot of times we'll get word back, oh, it was just a false alarm, and I think, good, I'm glad I prayed. Maybe because I prayed, it was a false alarm, or at the very least, I, I got a chance to pray, so that's wonderful. Uh, in a small community, you get a lot of calls, especially in a farming community, a lot of interesting calls. So those calls that we got, more often than not, as a firefighter, my job was to man the pumps, make sure the pump was running just right. And I would get stuck back at the truck, and I would run the pump, and that was a fine job for me. One of my other jobs that I got to do was I would go make coffee. While, uh, while everybody else was out fighting the fire, I would stay at the station in the middle of the night, and I would keep the coffee pot going because someone had to have the coffee pot going, and I would also answer the phones because we'd have calls coming in all the time. Um, it was a wonderful opportunity to serve. And most importantly, fire or not, one of the things that we did every month was we had training. We constantly went through training. And I remember several of the training classes, the ones that are very memorable to me still, the, several of the training classes focused on stuff that was fairly elementary, like how to get dressed, uh, how to put your uniform or put your, put your gear on, and uh, how to put it on, how to take it off, how to get in and out of it pretty quick how to be ready for the fire, because it's very important. The, the, the gear protects you. The gear is what you need when you're out there. Everything that you wear as a firefighter, from the helmet on down to the boots, everything is designed to keep you safe. Everything has a purpose. I always wondered why the, why the hats look like they were on backwards, and that's to keep the, to keep the sensors and everything off the back of your neck, and that's to protect your, the back of your neck. The, the coat has to be put on just a, a certain way. Everything has a purpose. Like, uh, why do firemen wear red suspenders? To hold their pants up. Thank you very much. Very, very good. Yeah. So, one of the other pieces of equipment that we always were told about and we were never allowed to leave without it was this piece of equipment. This is called the Nomex Shroud. And it's kind of like a, kind of like a ski mask. If you ever watch uh, movies about firefighters, very rarely will you see them wearing a Nomex shroud because when you're paying some actor millions of dollars to be in your movie, you want to see his pretty face. You don't want to see his face obscured by a Nomex shroud, and yet this is an essential piece of equipment. It is, it is lightweight. It's, it looks kind of like a ski mask. It's, it's also flame retardant. I'd say it's fireproof, but it's not exactly, but it is flame retardant. And we heard horror stories in training about guys that got all their gear on, all that heavy stuff, put the helmet on, but they had forgotten the Nomex shroud. And because of that, when, the, when they went into the fire, they were burned. Their face was burned. They were scarred. They were injured because they forgot this. And so it was one of those things that I always made sure, never forget your shroud. It's important to dress properly for a fire. You don't go into a fire dressing for comfort. You don't go in dressing for style. Well, this is what all the firefighters are wearing this year. You know, this, 
you go in to protect yourself. It's about protection. It's about what to wear to protect you from the fire so that you can go in and do your job and then you come back out unscathed and ultimately alive. And that's what Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 13 when he calls us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. This world is on fire. And you are here in this world to fight that fire. But to do so, you have to protect yourself and make sure that you are dressed properly for the fire. He starts out here in Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 8. He says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in, these wor- in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And besides this, you time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desire. So what does it look like when you put on the Lord Jesus? Jesus Christ. Paul sets up a series of contrasts here between what it looks like to walk in the ways of this world and what it looks like to live a life that is wrapped in Christ. And what he shows us is that to put on Christ, we put on love rather than putting on legalism. What's it going to look like when you put on Jesus? You know, for some people, it probably looks like a set of rules. It probably looks like that you're, you're living by a set of rules. And some of those rules are very good. You know, you look at verse 9. And verse 9 says, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment. Those are very good rules. You can live by those rules and still not put on Christ. You can live by those rules and, and hold them dear and keep every one of them, but still not have put on Christ. Because when you put on Christ, it's not about the rules, it's about the heart. That's why he goes on in verse 9, and he says, All of these commandments are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is why he says back in verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. It's about putting on love rather than legalism. You understand the difference, right? You understand the difference between love and and legalism. Legalism is living out the, the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law. It is easier to be legalistic. It's easier to point your finger and say, what you're doing is not right, and I can show you that it's not right because it's written right here in black and white. Sometimes it's written in red and white, and those are really good. But I can show you exactly why what you're doing is not right. And I think it's part of human nature. You go all the way back to the garden. Go all the way back to Genesis in the garden and, and Adam and Eve sin, right? And what happens? God says, what happened? And Adam says, this woman who you gave me She gave me that fruit. And then he looks at Eve, and Eve says, this serpent that you put in here, 
He gave me the fruit. You know, it's pointing fingers. It's human nature. But it is not the nature of Christ that way. It is the nature of Christ to love. And we are not called to put on human nature. We are called to put on Christ. Do you remember the story? The Pharisees bring a woman to Jesus, a woman caught in the act of adultery, caught in the very act of adultery. And they say, teacher, the law says she's sinned. The law says we have to stone her. And what do you say? And Jesus' response, let him who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And you realize at that point, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Jesus had reserved for himself, the one who is without sin, the right to punish this woman, the right to stone her, the right to kill her. And yet, he didn't condemn her. He forgave her. He loved her. If we're going to put on Christ, we're going to have to learn how to love people. If we're going to put on Christ, we have to learn how to love people. And I mean really love people. How do we respond to sin? How do we respond to wrong with love? How do we show them Christ in the midst of that? That doesn't mean we gloss over sin. It doesn't mean we pretend it didn't happen, that we ignore it, but we find a better way, a way that shows them Christ. We show them His love. Verse 10, if you notice here, he says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So love fulfills the law. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus says, I have come to fulfill the law. And here, verse 10, love is the fulfilling of the law. The law is fulfilled in us. We no longer need that list of rules if we are living by this one rule, and that is the rule of love, if we are living like Jesus. There's more to putting on Christ, though, than putting on love instead of legalism. If, if we're going to put on Christ, if we put on Christ, we're going to put on love rather than laziness. It's going to be love or laziness. For love to truly be love, it has to do something. It has to point somewhere. Love has to have a goal. If our love doesn't do anything for someone else, then it isn't really love. And you know, we see that best of all in God Himself. For God so loved the world that He did something. He took action to save the world. He did something for us. Love has to take action. He sent His Son. If we are going to put on Christ, if we are going to put on love, our love has to take action. It has to point to something. Something that has happened in us. Something that has happened in this world and our desire for this world. So Paul tells us in verse 11, he says, besides this, you know the time and the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. And we hear that, you know the time, and, and we immediately think about the second coming. We can immediately think about the second coming of Christ. Jesus is coming back, and that's, that's a very exciting thing. It's a very mysterious thing, and that's part of what Paul is talking about, but, but that's not everything that Paul is talking about. There's other things at work. Paul was very aware that this new era had come in, an era that was not under the law, but an era that was under grace, an era that was about love. It was about the gospel, the good news. You no longer could just simply hand people a book and say, keep all the rules in this book and you'll be fine. 
Instead, you had to go and tell them who Jesus was. And we have to go and tell them what it means to, to have gr- his grace in our lives, what it means to accept him as our Lord. We have to tell them the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We don't just hand people a, a set of rules. We redeem the time, Paul says. We, we take the time to tell them about Jesus. And we have to do it now. This time will not last. This time will come to an end someday. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 says, Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day when we tell other people this good news. But you know, there's, there's more to it than just that, even. Even just that. He says, for this salvation, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Salvation is nearer to you now than when you first believed. We've been at this for a while. You know, we've, we've been believers for a while. It's, it's a very personal thing. It's about you being a Christian. It's about you putting on Christ. Salvation is nearer to you now than when you first believed. So you ought to act a little bit more like Jesus. You ought to act a little bit more like Jesus than you used to. Verse 12, he says, The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. We've been at this for a while now. You've been a Christian for a while. Time is short. Don't get lazy about the way you show love. Don't get lazy about the way you demonstrate Christ in your life. We have to do it now. We have to reach out. We have to let other people see Christ in us because we are clothed in Christ. We are clothed in in His love. There's an urgency to our love. You know, we're, we're talking about eternal life. We're talking about heaven and hell. We're talking about life and death. And it's no time simply to relax and think, well, they'll figure it out. You know, someone else will tell them. Somebody else will, will share their faith, and, and that'll be good enough. I, I shouldn't have to go to any trouble to do that. We are in this world to love this world, to show them God's love, and we do that by putting on Christ and letting them see Him through us. There's one other distinction that Paul raises for us, for people who have been clothed with Christ rather than people who are unprotected from this world. He says that we have to put on love rather than lust. And this is the real distinction between putting on Christ or simply following the way of this world, the distinction between love and lust. And you hear the word lust and immediately you're thinking of sexual things. And then and that's a part of it. And don't let that distract you from this sermon, though. You know, don't, get, don't get too wrapped up in that. But anyway, that's part of it. But the distinction really, lust is really a view, way of viewing this world. It's a way of clinging to the things of this world. He says in verse 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Lust means leaving behind the higher things, such as love, to gratify your own flesh, to gratify your own desires. He says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. I'm not just talking about those sins that Paul does list here. I'm talking about attitude. You know, you often hear the question, do you love people and use things, or do you use people and love things? When you use people, 
and love things, that is lust. You are loving, you are following after things that will not last. It's a way of putting yourself above all else. It says, I am most important. That's not what Jesus came to do. But in fact, if anyone could have done that, if anyone could have put themselves above everyone else and said, I'm most important, it would have been Jesus. But what did he do? You know, you look at, you look at uh, Philippians chapter 2, and it says, though in the very nature God, though that Jesus is God, he emptied himself of that and made himself nothing. Being found in the appearance as a human, as a man, he made himself into a servant. And being found as a servant, he, he let himself be given over to death, the death on a cross. He emptied himself so that he might give us everything. He emptied himself, and that is the attitude that we put on. So what do you do? What do you do when those attitudes of this world, attitudes of legalism or attitudes of laziness or attitudes of lust kind of weasel their way into your life? What happens when those attitudes come back and and they start to burn you. They start to scar you. You put on Christ. You wrap Him around yourself. And you let His attitude become your attitude. You know, when, when the temptation to run after the things of this world comes along, when the temptation to lust or even the temptation just to, just to laziness comes on, you put on Christ. And you let His love guide you rather than the lusts of this world drag you along. You see, without Christ, you have no protection in this world. Without Christ, you have nothing to protect you from the fire of this world. And this world will burn you. It will scar you. That's what I love about verse 14. Verse 14 is not just a one-time thing. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you don't look at that and say, well, I already did that. I did that years ago. I did that in 1984 when I was buried in baptism. And, you know, in Galatians, Paul says that in baptism we put on Christ. And he's right. That one time when you're baptized, you do put on Christ. But that's not the same thing that Paul is talking about here. This is a continual command. It is a command, by the way, to put on Christ. You are not commanded to run around this world with your own lousy attitude, (laughs) with your own lousy ability to love. You are called to put on Christ. So if you are going to put on Christ, what does that look like? It's something that you do every day. Now, you know, you don't just say, well, 30 years ago I did that. 30 years ago I put on Christ. Did did you get dressed this morning? How many of you got dressed this morning? Didn't you get dressed yesterday? Wasn't that good enough? You know, if you're sitting here today and you're saying, well, I got dressed 30 years ago and that's not good enough for you now. I don't know what you want. You know, that's wrong and that's a little bit disgusting if that's all you've ever done. I got dressed once. I didn't care for it and I'm still dressed. You know, you're starting to stink after a while. Every day you've got to put on Christ. Every day you have to take up his attitude. Every day you have to allow his attitude to, to cover you, to clothe you, and put his love on you. And so, every day you get up and you encounter, every now and then, you encounter that one person who just kind of drives you nuts, don't you? Right? Every now and then you see that one person who just who knows where that one nerve is, and they know that button. You got people like that? List their names for me right now. Don't do that. And you're like, I can't put up with this today. Well, don't. Instead of you putting up with it today, you put on Christ. And, and you can't love that person. Don't lie to yourself. You can't love that person because they drive you nuts. You put on Christ, and you know what you do? You let Christ love them through you. 
You let Christ love them around you. He's going to work his way around you, and he's going to love them anyway. You let him do that. Every now and then, some old hurts come up, stuff that you thought you forgave a long time ago, and you felt fine about those things. It's all in the past. But every now and then, they come right back, don't they? And you're reminded of someone who'd done you wrong. And suddenly that thing that you thought you'd let go of, that thing that you thought you'd forgiven and forgotten about, it's right there and it's right now. And you're like, I can't forgive this today. No, you can't. So you put on Christ. And you let Him forgive it through you. Now, I think eventually a day comes when when you discover that it doesn't require as much effort to put on Christ. And it's a little easier to forgive some days than others. But you put on Christ and you let Him forgive you. Faced with some temptation, oh, what am I going to do? You put on Christ. And you let Christ uh, fight that temptation. Maybe you even get caught in sin. What do you do? You put on Christ and you let His blood wash that sin away. Are you angry with somebody? Then put on Christ and let Him love them through you. Uh, are you tempted? Are you caught in sin? The, the point is, your protection against this world is to behave like Christ in this world, to put on Christ in this in, uh, in firefighting, there is a particularly dangerous phenomenon called a backdraft. I think it's also called a flashover, if I remember right. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a very dangerous... Are you guys familiar with the term backdraft? Some of you are familiar with it. it it's basically when the room explodes, you know, and you, firemen or firefighters, excuse me, are, are trained to touch the door before they open it, right? And the reason they want to feel the door is to make sure the door is not hot. If the door is hot, you do not open that door because what happens when you open a door that is in that state, getting ready for a backdraft, you introduce oxygen into that room and suddenly the atmosphere catches fire. The air will catch fire and burn around you. You've seen that happen in, in pictures, I'm sure. You've seen that happen in, in fires. And so you've got to be very cautious of that. And one of the things that was drilled into our head about the Nomex Hood, they told us about a, a training that took place somewhere, and they had all these men standing in a controlled blaze in a room that they had set on fire, and they were going to show them what it was like to be there during a backdraft. And so all these firefighters are standing there wearing their gear, wearing their masks, wearing their tanks on the back, and they're waiting for the backdraft, and one man suddenly realized he forgot his shroud. He forgot his hood. He was never the same again. Never looked the same again after that. His skin was exposed when the room exploded. And that was not good. This world is burning. And it is a dangerous place. And this world will burn you. I've seen it happen. It will burn you. And if you think that you can survive because you're a happy-go-lucky kind of guy and nothing really gets to me, well, sooner or later it will. And there are a lot of people out there telling you that if you have an attitude of gratitude and you just follow my simple plans, six, six simple plans for a better attitude and a better life, no, you can't do it yourself. You're not going to fight this world and, and the way and the fire of this world with your own attitude, with, with your own ambition. You've got to put on Christ. There is no way else out of this world. You cannot survive with your own attitude. It will burn you. 
If you try to survive this world with your own ability to forgive, forget it. You're not going to make it out of here. You've got to put on Christ and you've got to let Him forgive through you. Your own lusts rather than Christ's love, you will not survive. So put on Christ. Let Him love this world through you. Let Him forgive through you. You realize there is another side to this though, don't you? Because if you're going to put on Christ, you have to take off something else. If you're going to put on Christ, you have to take off yourself. And that's the hard part. That's what Jesus is talking about when He says, if anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself daily, and daily take up his cross, daily put on Christ, and then follow Me. Daily you crucify your old self. Daily you put those attitudes and, and those, those feelings that you have, the, the, the way that you figured life out to death, and you pick up Christ's attitude. You pick up His love. We have attitudes that we love. We have come to call them our own. We have prejudices. Don't, don't say we don't because we do. We have prejudices that we have, we have come to call our own. We have passions. We maybe even have beliefs that we hold dear. But we put them all to death so that Christ can live within us and so that the world can know Him through us. What is the world going to see when they look at you? That's your question. Ultimately, that's the question. Who's the world going to see when they look at you? Are they going to see yourself? Are they going to see you with, with your own attitude? Or are they going to see your commitment to Christ? Are they going to see Christ wrapped around you? Your commitment to Christ is a commitment to let Him live in you. Are you going to do that? We're going to sing a song that maybe you've sung a hundred times. Maybe you've sung it a thousand times ago. Maybe there's a, a day when you remember, I sang, I have decided to follow Jesus, and that's the day I made my way down the aisle. That's the day when I made that commitment, and that's the day when I put on Christ. That's good, but you probably stink by now. <laughs> and it's time to put them on again. It's not about that first commitment. It's about today, today, with the troubles that I am facing today, at my present age and with my present attitudes, the troubles that I'm facing today, today I will decide to follow Jesus. Maybe that is, maybe today is the first time you've ever made that commitment. Maybe it's the thousandth time you've had to make that commitment. But if you need us to pray with you about that commitment, if you need us to pray with you about the way you're going to follow Christ today, Come forward. We would love to pray with you. We'd love to encourage you because we're not going to get out of this world with, his attitude, with, with our own attitude. And we're not going to get out of this world if we're doing this on our own. We're going to have to do it together. Let's stand together as we sing.